So uh, inspired by uh, the recent J J J Lesurrection. I don't know. About <laughs> I that. don't know. I was I was trying <laughs> to make a portmanteau work. Uh, J Jennifer Lopez erection. There we go. Okay. Uh, the J Lopez erection. Uh, <laughs> God, what was I saying? Rolls right okay. off the tongue. We're gonna go back into this. Uh, take two. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. From San Diego, California, you are Keith Foster, the co-host. Yes, and you are Cassidy Robinson, the creator and birth mother of this podcast. Interesting. Interesting choice of words. I, I think it's appropriate. It'll have to do, I suppose. Yes, from Las Vegas, Nevada. It is, it is officially fall. Yeah, hot girl summer is over. <laughs> you tweeted that. I don't know exactly what that means, but... Did you miss all of hot girl summer? Um, yeah. Oh, that's so sad for you. Yeah, it was a hot girl summer. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, here it uh, becomes the actual sun between uh, June and and, uh, and August, so you can't go outside or you'll die. Mm, that's too bad. You will for real, die. You missed it. Hot girl summer only happens every six years. Remember that scene in the Chronicles of Riddick, where they're on Mercury, I think, and uh, there's that prison or whatever that like. Do I remember the scene from the Chronicles of Riddick? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I fucking do. <laughs> Did you know there's a whole there's a whole Riddick movie that came out that I didn't know about? Uh, that can't be right. Like theatrically, yeah. There's three Riddick movies. No, I know. I'm sure you've seen Riddick, the third one. I have not. I've seen Pitch Black. I've seen Mm -hmm. the Chronicles of Riddick. I even have a DVD two pack with those two movies together and. Riddick Dark Fury, the weird anime. The animated uh, film, yeah. Yeah, there was like this weird trend in like mid 2000s where mm-hmm. everything was getting like an anime follow up. film, yeah. It was yeah. it was popularized after the Animatrix, and there was like a Batman one also. Yeah, um, I, I don't think I ever watched it, but yeah, I didn't know there was a fucking third Riddick movie. Have not seen it. I, I saw it. We reviewed it on uh, the old version of this podcast back when it was Jabber and the Drone. Not we as in me and you, but we as in me and uh, the previous co-host. So yeah, yeah, I thought that was for BK. sure you would have seen that. because I, like, I did too. Of all of them, it is the most pulpy and uh, Robert E. Howardy of mm-hmm. all of them. More than Chronicles of Riddick? Cause yeah. Whew. Yeah. Uh, it is it is straight up like desert planet warrior stuff. God damn it! All right, <laughs> I, I can't say that, that it's a great movie, but it is. I was when I saw it, I said Keith is going to be all about this. <laughs> Fuck! All right. <laughs> oh, I completely lost my analogy. I was all I was going to say. There's a scene in Chronicles of Riddick where, um, because there's no atmosphere, whenever the sun. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You're talking yeah, it, about the weather. We went on an interesting, fun movie rant. <laughs> At least that's content that is movie related. Sure. You're over here making weather jokes. Well, I was trying to bring it back. I was trying uh-huh. to bring it back. It is fall, and it is much more tolerable, and I can go outside now. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, you know, the fall season is upon us. So, uh, next week, we'll be starting, uh, you know, our kind of spooky Halloween season. 
Um, we'll be talking a lot more about horror films, so that'll be interesting. But today, we're going to be reviewing Ad Astra. And for the Netflix homework, the Martin Scorsese film, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. But before we get to that, let's get on to a little bit of Consume Obey. And Keith, what have you consumed? What are you currently obsessed with? Uh, okay. Oh, I have a couple things. Um, uh, okay. So this this isn't my official answer because I haven't really watched much on it. But I want to give it a shout out because I think it has a really cool feature. So I got a 30-day free trial to the streaming horror movie service Shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, which has a lot of schlock, has a lot of, you know, kind of like bullshit movies you don't want to watch, but it has Mandy on there and I've, I've wanted to rewatch it since it came out. Um, yeah. but it has a really cool feature where they have streaming channels, uh, which I want fucking Netflix. I want Hulu. I want all of them to do this. They just stream films constantly and you like they live stream them so you just tune in like it's television and oh. and you just catch it and the other day they had a halloween marathon on and we caught like the tail end of halloween four uh and watched a chunk of halloween five the revenge of michael myers like it's just a really fun idea so they had like um a streaming channel full of their original content uh, and it's live, so you can't like rewind it or go back to the beginning of the movie or anything. No, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could, you know, like they're all titles that they have streaming. So if you came right. in halfway through and you're like, oh, I want to watch this from the beginning, you could. Um, but to me, it solves a huge problem that I have with Netflix or Hulu, and that is just like fucking making a choice, making a decision. Right. And I think Netflix is kind of tries to do that with their little thumbnail preview bullshit but that's annoying i hate that. i hate that it's the I worst i hate that so much it is the goddamn because i worst. just want to surf around and then all of a sudden i like have to deal with these loud ass trailers and it's not like you're just in the show it, yeah it's it, like a trailer and it's very annoying um yeah but yeah so i really I, I mean there's not many channels there's like three of them but i just think it's a really cool idea uh, it makes sense that Shudder would do that because, like, a, a big, uh, I would say, the bulk of their fan base or their uh, uh, subscriber base is, you know, people DTF. guys our age are a little bit older who uh, grew up watching uh, horror movies on cable and, like, yeah, you know, and that, that's the, kind of the experience I think a lot they're of trying to recreate, yeah, and, and I love it. I think it's such a, a fun thing. So um, there's something to be said about that era. Yeah. I can't speak to the quality of Shudder itself, um, just because I, I haven't found a whole lot that I'm really interested in on there. You know, I might um, do the free 30-day trial for for October as well, and, uh, you know, after I take a look at it, uh, maybe maybe I can kind of sift through sift what, through it and let you know what's worth it and what's not. Be careful, because... Um, uh, the right now, They're advertising a seven-day trial. I had to, like look up a pirate code. Ooh. So, uh, yeah, they're advertising a seven-day trial, but I found a code for a 30-day trial. So, Damn, um, but, okay. But I think I think it's worth a free 30-day look-see. Um, but my actual Consumo Bay, uh, I, I guess that's kind of cheating, um, is... I've been recently, like within the last year, gotten back into single issue comics okay um umbrella academy came out with their third volume this year so i was like i have to check that out um we uh finally signed my wife up for a pull box because uh, there were a few comics she wanted to read Fun. um but marvel has recently relaunched for the twenty thousandth time x-men but they actually have like a really good creative team behind it right now. So for a while, uh, X-Men was, I don't know. I mean, X-Men comics were Marvel's flagship titles for a really long time. Um, and then Marvel comics got kind of fucking petty because they lost the movie rights. 
Um, and so they were just like not really interested in writing good stories or, or putting like their top creative talent on it. Um, but they're relaunching X-Men and what is to be sort of the definitive X-Men story of this decade uh, mm-hmm. being written by Jonathan Hickman. And he's rebooting it with these two titles that, that go together, um, House of X and Powers of Ten. But ten is spelled out with an X. So if you read it, it's House of X. House of X X. and Power of X. Okay. Yeah. Um, But it's been really fucking good so far. I'm uh, only a a few issues in. I'm like three or four issues. And each title is doing like a six issue run. Uh, So I I guess I'm about half, close to halfway through. Uh, Anyway. And it is, they are bringing X-Men back in a big way. This is the best X-Men has been since Joss Whedon's run uh, or since um, Grant Morrison's, Grant Morrison's. run. Which is uh-huh. re- it, it reminds me of the Grant Morrison stuff a lot, to be honest. Um, okay, but it's just cool. really exciting to like mm-hmm. care about X-Men again. Because it has been trash for a long time now. Not right. trash, just like super forgettable and generic and boring. And now there's it, like, ha- it hasn't been their focus for a few yeah, years. Yeah, and now yeah. it's getting super weird and out there, but in really fun, cool ways. Uh, so that is my Consumo Bay is uh, House of X and Powers of X. Nice. What right. about you? What have you been into? What have you been watching, listening to, reading? Podcasts, mostly. I'm going to be talking about podcasts. So there's a there's a couple new ones uh, that I've been checking out that I've really enjoyed. Rolling Stone has a politics podcast that they started. The podcast is called Useful Idiots, uh, hosted by Katie Halper and Matt Taibbi. Um, people who are kind of like, I guess, on the progressive left spectrum uh, okay. might be familiar with both of those uh, uh, both of those uh, writers. Um, or journalists, and they uh, they have kind of a fun, sort of uh, irreverent uh, style, uh, political commentary, comedic-ish podcasts where they kind of cover what's going on, and then they uh, usually bring on a guest for the last half of the of the episode, uh, somebody else, um, sort of from the same sort of perspective where they kind of talk about you know uh, either electoral politics or you know the everyday goings on. Um, but it's a uh, really well produced and it's a pretty funny podcast and I enjoy, I enjoy it a lot. So if you're, if you're a fan of stuff like, um, you know, I guess pod save America, this is a little bit more irreverent than that. Um, but not as irreverent as Chapo trap house. So somewhere kind of in between the two, uh, been enjoying that. I think there are about like six or so episodes now and then there's another podcast that I've really enjoyed um, that's around kind of the same number as far as episodes uh, called, I think it's called I Don't Care If This Ruins My Life. It's <laughs> a pretty good name. Uh, uh, yeah, let me make sure that that's correct. Yeah, I Don't Care If This Ruins My Life. And uh, this is another podcast by um, or co-hosted by Patrick Kinlan, who's on Axe to Grind. Um, he's a lead singer of uh, a couple different sort of post-hardcore bands, uh, Self-Defense Family and Drug Church. And he's also a comic book writer, actually. He just uh, oh. recently had a big deal settled with one of the big industries. He's kind of being cagey about it right now because I think they're you know still in NDA territory. But uh, yeah, he he uh, he's been writing independent comics for a while, and uh, he met with somebody who's uh, important um, when he was at Comic Con, and he's going to be doing a run for one of the bigger uh, industries. So that'll be interesting to see what whatever comes out of that. I've never actually read his stuff, um, but uh, I guess I'd be interested in it. What, what um, is, do you know? What he writes? No, you know he is all of his stuff so far has been indie. Okay, what's his uh, name again? Patrick Kinland. That sounds familiar. I wonder if I. Yeah, I don't know. You'd have to look it up and see if you've you've read any of his stuff. But uh, he does the show with um, uh, Ian Shelton, who is the drummer slash singer for uh, Regional Justice Center, um, a uh, Seattle-based hardcore band, and he also 
uh, is a music video director. So the the two of them kind of get together and they mostly are talking about their careers and kind of like their trajectories and their, you know, their day-to-day sort of neurosis about, you Hello. know, how do you stay busy? How do you, you know, make it in the creative industry with when you're not, uh, when you're not to the, when you're just at the point where you're working, but you're not at the point that you're super famous yet. Uh, anyway, so both of those podcasts have been a lot of fun. Um, and I recommend them. Cool. All right. Uh, and before we get too uh, deep into the podcast and to our features and our segments, I just want to remind our listeners to please go and uh, give us a five star rating on iTunes. And if you do, I will draw a f- uh, whatever your favorite fictional character is on mm-hmm. a post-it note. Um, I posted a few on my Instagram at Keith Foster Kid, and uh, there's few people that have posted reviews that haven't hit me up for their commissions. So if you've posted a review and I haven't drawn anything for you, just send me a DM and I'll I'll draw something uh, fun for you. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything you can do to help us, if you're if you're interested in the podcast at all, um, is appreciated. So I just want to put yeah. that out again, um, real quick. Uh, just five star review on iTunes helps us out a lot. Five star yes. rating yeah. and at least like one sentence. You don't have to like write, you know, a literal like five hundred word review, but just like just like one sentence of hey, these guys are cool. Take a listen or something like that. I mean, it can even be like, I only did this for the, the post-it note, whatever. I, I don't care what the review says, really. Uh, uh, we really appreciate it. We we do put a lot of, of time and effort and energy into this thing. It is kind of just a dumb hobby, but um, we uh, we try to, to, to do our best for you guys. So um, Absolutely. if you can help us so, out, we really appreciate it. The best thing you can do, you know, besides rating and reviewing us, which we do appreciate, is just spread word of mouth. Um, you know, share it on your, yeah. on your socials. And if you're talking amongst your friends and the, when podcasts come up, you know, don't be afraid to, to drop us uh, a mention. So let's go ahead and move on to the next thing. We have a, a listener submitted survey and we didn't get as much response on this, probably because I, re- I posted it like midnight on a, on a Saturday or something <laughs> like that. But the question I posed to the listeners was, what is your favorite movie about space exploration? Um, and, uh, we got a couple answers here and we'll go through those and then we'll kind of talk about our favorites, but, uh, Todd Flatland responded both on Twitter and on our Facebook group. And he wanted to give a, uh, a mention for the Europa report. He says, for those who haven't seen it, Europa report was really awesome. Did you ever see this one? I haven't. I've never, I've actually never even heard of this. It was a small kind of independent sci-fi film. I want to say it came out around like 2012, 2013, something like that. Um, I saw it. Uh, it was on Netflix for a little while. I want to say that, uh, again, back in uh, the Jabber and the Drone days, uh, we covered this. But um, yeah, it's kind of a sci-fi horror of sorts. It's uh, Do you, you remember that film Pandorum? Uh, vaguely. I remember it's kind the of in that, that ballpark. If I recall, like, I don't remember the movie super well, but it, it has like kind of yeah, like an overarching mystery. And then, uh, yeah, I believe there I want to say there's there's an alien or creatures or something to that effect. So it's a little bit more sci fi horror than space exploration. Uh, but yeah, it, it's a pretty I think it was a cool movie as far as I as oh, far as I remember. I did hate Pandorum. I actually did see it. I hated that one. Um <laughs> Yeah, no, but, I wasn't a fan. I wasn't a huge fan of Pandorum, but I kind of confused these two. There's because there were a lot of similarities, as I recall. Okay, next, Tracy Kaufman, who we both used to work work with a long time ago, uh, says The Martian, and this this one's a little bit more recent. Um, you know, one yeah, of the, solid. Uh, the obvious reason why I posted this question is because we're reviewing Ad Astra, and I th- I want to say ever since Gravity, it's. Uh, one of these kind of like uh, astronaut movies has been like a uh, end of the year prestige film staple, and uh, The Martian was one of those. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever see? Um, and this this might be somebody's answer on the list. Did you ever see First Man? No, I kept meaning to, and I heard good things about yeah. it too. Did Did anybody see it? 
<laughs> uh, friend of the show, Ashley Hitchcock and Cade, um, both saw it, uh, on cable or on streaming and they both liked it a lot. So it's on HBO right now. I've been, uh, mm-hmm. I've been thinking about checking it out. Uh, what did you think of the Martian? Uh, I remember really enjoying the Martian. I, I think it's one of Ridley Scott's better films, uh, in, that he's done in probably the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ridley Scott has a tendency to get in his own way. Um, right. But I think in this, he was just kind of trying to create um, something like a really commercially uh, acceptable and and fun space exploration movie. And it's uh, based off of a pretty popular Novella. book. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it was uh, adapted by Drew Goddard, who would later go on to do... Uh, Bad Times of the El Royale and the uh, Netflix uh, Daredevil show. Yeah, yeah. I think The Martian, as far as this subgenre goes, is mm-hmm. probably one of the more commercially poppy and viable. Like it, it, it really moves and it's fun and it's entertaining and it's it's a pretty funny movie. Yeah, um, there's a lot of humor in it, and it's uh, it doesn't take itself quite as seriously as some of these. No, yeah, I like The Martian a lot. I, w- I want to say that was on my top ten on that year, but I, d- I don't 100% remember. But yeah, if not, the, the, it was close. These type of movies have a tendency to be kind of bleak, and um, mm-hmm. and I think The Martian avoided that trope nicely. So um, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's it's one of the better ones, I think. Okay. Uh, Ashley, who I was just speaking of, she says interstellar with a lot of uh, exclamation points. And then she says, if we were talking TV, um, she's a big fan of the Orville, which is uh, the uh, Seth MacFarlane kind of uh, Star Trek comedy. Yeah, um, you you, uh, you mentioned that a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, uh, I have. So I haven't seen the Orville, so I can't speak to that. But speaking of movies, I. There are parts of Interstellar that I think are brilliant, mm-hmm. um, but but I think that movie kind of gets in its own way. I yeah. think there's so many ideas going on that not all of them come through. Um, but I will say I I like the concept. Uh, I think Matthew McConaughey is great in that movie, and there is a very specific scene that I think about mm-hmm. actually pretty often. Uh, th- th- it's like before they even go into space where John Lithgow is talking about how he grew up in in our generation. Oh, right. He's like he's an aged talking. millennial where he's like in a rocking chair. and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's like... Uh, it's it's exactly. kind of trippy. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like, the, uh, unfortunately... There seems to be a lot of um, sci-fi realism with that idea that, you know, the next generations or so are going to have to deal with incredible famine and hardship um, unless we turn the climate change thing around like Mm -hmm. five years ago. (laughs) Um, and, And I just remember he has a speech about how like when he was growing up, it was like every day was like Christmas. And that always was just sort of haunting and stuck with me. So... Even though Interstellar as a whole, I think, is is uh, a bit cumbersome and flawed, um, I think it has flashes of brilliance. Uh, I agree. I think I really love the first half of that movie. I think, yeah. um, especially like all of the, the uh, yeah, sci-fi realism stuff or the futurism stuff in that movie, I think is really interesting. And then, uh, yeah, once it starts a crosscut because it splits the timeline between two different. Um, space-time well, and, continuums or whatever and then it gets a little kind of like choppy editing and like a little over plotted and uh, yeah, at a certain point it stops becoming a movie and becomes more of a uh uh, uh philosophy uh debate <laughs> uh, yeah uh, yeah i mean there's some really cool i mean i love the visuals in the movie and uh and uh there's i really love like the the design of the robot in that it's like it, it's like shaped like kind of like the the monolith from two thousand one, and then it can split into like five different. I don't know. It looks like Jenga cubes or something, and it just spins around. Oh yeah, um, that was really cool. Yeah, there's some really really cool moments in that movie, but I think as a whole, it's very late period Christopher Nolan. Uh, yeah, um, uh, and so, I mean, some people that's a it's a good thing. Um, yeah, I guess so. 
uh, on Twitter, um, I'll re- I'll read one here. Uh, sure, Rod, uh, friend of the show, Rod from formerly the from listening, the listening party. party. Uh, he says, uh, Rocket Man, the '90s comedy starring Harlan Harlan Williams. Is that his yeah, name? yeah? <laughs> not not the Rocket Man. No, not the most recent one with uh, uh, Elton John. Congratulations, the, Rod, yeah. for uh, thinking outside of the box on this one. I really, I enjoyed. And you that know what, answer. though, I also really enjoyed that answer, and I also have a lot of fond memories of that movie. I remember it's it's a very dumb movie, uh, right? It's very but in the like, way that in the way that it knows it is. Yeah, and it, I remember it being a lot of fun. It's been a long yeah. time since I've seen that movie. <laughs> but I I do remember enjoying it as a child. So um yeah, good good answer. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So um there's a lot of different ways you can kind of go with this answer, and I'm was honestly surprised nobody said gravity, because uh, that is such a kind of recent you know big pillar of the genre. I don't know. What about you? What are what are some of your favorites of the space exploration genre? Um, yeah, I. I don't. I feel like I'd need to see Gravity again, not in IMAX, because I remember when when I saw it in IMAX, like I hadn't seen a lot of movies in IMAX at that point. Like we just we didn't live near one when it came out, and I, I had just uh, in it just so happened that I was had access to an IMAX theater, and I was like, oh, I've heard great things about mm. this, and I remember it being visually stunning. I remember kind of being blown away by it, but. Right, uh, and I do. I think there's something about the simplicity of the sort of uh, one woman in real time space survivalist plot that was really effective. But I don't right. know if I could really rewatch it again. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of interesting in that way. I think I have it on Blu-ray right now. I think I finally got it at like a Goodwill for like seven bucks, but it took you know, that sort of convenience and cheapness for me to finally pull the trigger on it because I feel like I, it's to me, it's such a theater experience. Yeah. And that it, I don't it felt know. like a very, like of the time it came out experience yeah. as well. Like I, I just, I don't know how, how I mean, well. I think if they, if they did another screening of it or whatever, like a revival screening and you could go see it in IMAX with the 3d and the whole thing, I would still be affected by it in the same way that I was. But I'll say this about it. It is one of the few films I've seen where I think 3D was utilized in a storytelling way and not yeah. just in like a throw stuff at your face kind of way. Yeah. And I, I feel like it's one of those movies that kind of needs all of all the of whole that shebang. experience yeah. to, to really recreate it. I don't know. I haven't seen it since. So uh, it, it maybe it is just as compelling uh, you know, on like a 4K TV or whatever, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I remember loving it when it came out, and then I just sort of forgot about it. Um, so I wouldn't say that's one of my favorites. Um, I mean, I I'm gonna list two just because I think they both deserve honorable mentions in this category. Yeah. Uh, and the first one is of course Armageddon. Uh, really? I, I mean, you want to talk about a movie that commercialized that sort of thing. I mean, mm-hmm. Armageddon is dumb pulp, but it is a f- it is entertaining. It is compelling. Um, uh, yeah, I I think it, Armageddon's a great, not good movie. <laughs> uh, hey, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good description of it. I don't know if that really counts. There's think, too much other stuff I going on in that enough, movie. There's enough space stuff. There's enough space mm. tropes. And it's not like... It's not overly sci-fi like Star Wars or Star Trek. Like, they try to make it feel like real space travel. So I think it counts. Uh, and then the I think other that's a one, disaster film. I think if, if you're pinning it down to a genre, it's a disaster film first and... It just, but there is a space component to it. I disagree. I, I, they spend more time in space than time destroying the world in that movie. I mean, there's definitely some world destruction set pieces, but I think that's more of a space movie than it is 
a disaster movie. Okay. Uh, anything Feel else? Feel free to fucking debate us, listeners. Uh, uh, I mean, I'm right, <laughs> but anything else? Okay. Uh, and the other movie I want to give a, a shout out to is uh, uh, one of the OGs in this genre. In uh, a bit of a bit of a deeper cut, uh, the original 1971 movie Solaris, directed by Andre Tarkovsky. Uh, this Absolutely. is a long movie. It is a, a plotting movie. Uh, <laughs> it is cha- it, it's challenging. It's kind of boring, um, but it is it's Russian. But it is really interesting. Um, and if this is a genre that you enjoy. And you've never seen Solaris or never heard of Solaris. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. It, it's one of those movies that I wouldn't have seen if not for seeing it in a film class. Right. Um, and I just remember being uh, pretty captivated by it. it it's uh, it's good stuff. Yes. And uh, yeah, I think if you're looking at this genre, specifically the the tropes we see the most of like, you know, the, the these kind of existential uh, um, man in space, you know, what does it all mean movies um, of which we're about to review one. Solaris is one of the biggest antecedents to this genre, um, along yeah. with obviously... 2001 a space odyssey which is yeah i didn't you know i didn't maybe the, take that one from you plus i've never actually seen it you know the two are were made pretty close to around the same time and they uh i mean 2001 is a much bigger film and it's much more kind of effects driven um i'm probably a little less character uh oriented but i think that it's um yeah, I mean, you, you you just see this movie everywhere you go. Every time you see one of these things, it's doing something from yeah either of those films, especially two thousand one. Um, I mean, it wrote it wrote the book on the genre, and it still holds yes. up, which is which is insane. Like, you know, especially on an effects level, uh, it was you know he uh, uh, Kubrick um, knew exactly the limitations of what he could do and how to push what was the highest tech at the time to its, to its capabilities without, you know, having a fakey looking, um, uh, claymation moment or something that you would normally see in a sixties sci-fi film. Um, honestly, I think between 2001 and Solaris, like those two movies sort of just defined what, what this genre would be. Right. And, you know, one was made in the U S one was made in Russia in the middle of the space race. So, uh yeah, it's kind of interesting on that level too. But if we if we want to move up a little further into the genre, I also really like Danny Boyle's Sunshine. Um that also oh, kind of yeah. dips a toe into sci-fi horror territory. Um yeah, but that movie's I, great till like the last twenty minutes. Yeah, it's a Danny Boyle film. <laughs> but Shade. I really do. I I like that one a lot, and I, I think there's a lot of cool a lot of cool sci-fi ideas in that, and it's um, it it does get weird, um, but I, in a way that I think is still entertaining. Yeah, and in a way that kind of separates it from other movies too. Like I, I don't think it ruins the movie. It's just like it's so good up to that point, and then it's like, oh, okay, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what it drops. This is. It drops the ball a little bit. Uh, that's early uh, uh, Alex Garland stuff too. Do you, uh, what do you think? Do you count? Moon by Duncan Jones. Sure, yeah. As I mean, these types of movies. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's much, much more character oriented than I think any of the films we've talked about so far, with the exception and of that, maybe The Martian. And it's you know a considerably lower budget. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so he uses his budget um, very wisely. So it's uh, you know minimal sets, and then and I think he for the moon exploration stuff that's all done with miniatures um which is really cool yeah so i think i think that movie's worth a shout out um uh, also i think it's obviously duncan jones's best movie um uh, we just reviewed his sci-fi noir thriller uh mute last week uh definitely not up to uh, the same standard no. 
Um, so if you want to hear our thoughts on that, you can go listen to last week's episode. Although I was um, reading about Mute before we reviewed it, and apparently he'd had that script for a while, because that was actually the first script he offered to, uh, what's his name? Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. And uh, Rockwell wasn't interested in it, or he didn't have the money to do everything that that script does. Uh, so he he uh, wrote Moon specifically to uh, just get Sam Rockwell to be in a movie with him. Interesting. I, I did catch there is a, a fun little moon Easter egg in Mute. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's a part where, like, Paul Rudd is, like, watching the TV. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure it's the Sam Rockwell character from Moon is, like, on Earth... I, I don't know. It, it's definitely Sam Rockwell on the TV. And I'm pretty sure yeah. it was a reference to Moon. Okay. Um, so uh, that's kind of fun. But yeah, that's neither here nor there. Um, I just think Moon is, is really interesting and cool and, and deserved a shout out, even though it's not exactly the same style as the other movies we're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more of a chamber piece. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, but I do think that it is kind of adjacent to this genre. Let's Are go you ahead. ready to talk about the most modern uh, one of these films, uh, uh, entering into the Spaceman epic canon, Ad Astra? Uh, yeah, let's go ahead and talk about it. Ad Astra is the new film by writer-director James Gray, and it stars Brad Pitt as Roy McBride, um, a lonely future uh, space technician slash astronaut who uh whose father disappeared some years ago uh in a mission to discover life uh on the outskirts of the galaxy on neptune and when weird electrical storms start happening on earth due to something that's happening on neptune they decide to bring in brad pitt's character uh to uh go on a mission to discover or possibly find his father if what if he's still alive and to see if he's behind these electrical storms. So uh, that kind of was what kicks all of this off. But there's this is one of those movies where what it's about as far as, you know, point A to point B of the story is a lot different than what is the emotional storytelling of the film. Yeah, the the plot is separate from the story. The actual story that it's it's trying to tell. Yeah. Right. So, what did you think of Dad Astra? <laughs> um yeah. Uh I I really liked this movie. I I mean, this is a genre that I just like mm-hmm. uh, e- even the worst ones of the genre i think if you have any kind of interesting angle uh on it i'm probably gonna enjoy it a little bit and i think there's a lot of really great thematic character work going on here mm-hmm. uh and i love the the future sci-fi the really believable future sci-fi world building that's going yeah. on but I think this movie does a good job of keeping that stuff subtle. And so everything is from the point of view of Brad Pitt's character, um, something hottie McAstronaut or whatever. <laughs> Roy uh, McBride. It, yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's Brad Pitt. Um, right. <laughs> uh, and I mean, Brad Pitt does a fine job here, but he's, he's pr- playing a pretty buttoned down, closed off, character um well specifically closed off because we learn through the film that he has this technique of never of being able to stay calm in all situations to the point where mm-hmm. he can keep his heart rate under 80 at all times no matter what yeah and i think that a a lesser actor could have played this really flatly mm-hmm. um but because brad pitt is brad pitt uh i i think he does a really good job of playing it flat but keeping it interesting yeah um i think he does a a, a, especially later in the film he gets Mm -hmm. to make a lot of um interesting character choices and i mean i like this movie because ultimately it's it's a character piece i i think yes uh 
this movie saying a lot about specifically uh, sort of toxic masculinity and the ability to share and the necessity to be closed off and seem tough and put together and ready to do the mission. Um, right. And so I think the, the movie ha- is having a lot of interesting conversations about that and sort of the the things we can pick up from our parents. Uh, you know, the, the sort of hereditary um, uh, mental issues and, and uh, stoicness that that can be passed down just through behavior. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I thought all of that was really cool. Plus I, I really liked, this was one of those future sci-fi movies to me that seems, uh, it's set in a future that is meant to be pretty believable. Yeah. Uh, like these, we get to these. the moon and there's a, like a uh, uh, corporate chain restaurants all over the moon. Like there's right. Applebee signs and subway signs. Yeah. Uh, and not in like a, Blade Runner-y kind of like, you know, hopping city kind of environment. Like, it seems like, I mean, it looks like an airport. It looks like kind yeah. of a slightly futuristic sort of rundown airport. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think also like the sci-fi world building uh, was incredibly on point. Yeah. I think, I, I will say though, that if this genre isn't your cup of tea, I could see people, you know, watching this movie and, and, uh, being bored by it. But to me, I felt like there was a lot of uh, thematic work going on through like uh, this, this cold narrative overlay, um, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm kind of iffy on that as a, a sort of a plot device or a storytelling technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in this case, it works really well because you sort of hear his narration change. Like there's, to me, there's a, a purpose to it. Like you hear how his sort of thought process is changing as, you know, events in the movie develop. I, I really liked this movie. I did, too. And it's interesting because right now I'm looking online and stuff and there seems to be very divided opinions on it. Um, and I was kind of going in with the expectation that it was probably not going to be very good because people I normally trust online were like you know, kind of shitting on it on Twitter and such. And I thought, oh, no, you know, I, I, you know, the trailers and stuff look interesting. I guess we'll see. Um, and about midway point to the movie, I realized, like, oh, I get why I get I get it. I get why I'm enjoying it. And I get yeah. why a lot of people aren't. This is not a movie about space travel. This is not a movie about aliens. This is not a movie about this. This is not even really a movie about survival. This is a movie about Freudian ideas about fathers and sons, and sort of what we learn uh, from from our uh, our elders, and uh, specifically sort of the Freudian idea that uh, um, we have to destroy our father to like fully realize ourselves. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean. And that's what the movie is like actually about. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's, it's very, very, very interior, um, with a character that is so, that is super, super cold and super, super arm's length and is not, is trying specifically not to let you in into his mind. So it's a, it's a tricky, it's tricky stuff what the movie's trying to do to have a super cold character and have it, all be about his emotional arc you know uh (laughs) one of my favorite things and this this might be kind of a spoiler so um but again this movie's not as much about plot as it is these sort of thematic movements right um but and this is a small detail but um uh he at the beginning of the movie like one of the first things his internal dialogue says is is uh, don't touch me to another person. Oh, interesting. Uh, and like the person like comes up and grabs him by the shoulders, you know, right. and it's like, good luck out there or whatever. Um, and to me, that like says everything we need to know about the character. Uh-huh. And then at the end, there's sort of a, uh, again, without giving too much away, there's sort of a, a crash landing and a pod opens up and he embraces these, these people who have come to help him and save him. 
like freely openly he, he's right. actively like reaching for help and yes. to me that is just like such a and it's done almost entirely without dialogue it's done with just that one line of dialogue and then the rest is through uh you know showing us how the character reacts to to people mm-hmm. around him to to people outside of himself and i i thought that was just like fucking really cool <laughs> Yeah, no, that is. Um, and I, I mean, I will say every once in a while, the internal monologue is a little too on the nose. Like every once in a while, it, I think it says a bit more than the movie needs to say. Although, I don't know, because apparently a lot of people are like, where's the aliens? Uh, and it, and yeah. it'll spell out things a little too much. Like it, it'll, he'll start to soliloquy the themes of the movie. And I hate when movies do that. It happens like, two or three times but i mean not too much like it's right on the edge of of acceptability but i actually wonder if a movie could have survived without internal monologue at all uh i i kind of wonder that too because i i actually agree with you there it it comes close to being a little too much mm -hmm. um i also think there's a couple scenes that come close to being a little too on the nose um like Donald Sutherland's character is just sort of an exposition machine. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't love it when movies do that. Um, and I actually don't know if we needed the, like the very, very end sort of epilogue coda. Yeah. Um, overall, I, I thought this movie was, um, and even those things work towards the themes of the movie. They're just a little too, obvious yeah um but yeah, other the, than that i i was uh thoroughly engrossed with the character in his journey so was i um you know the, it's 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 a slow movie it's very deliberately paced so if that's not your your thing you know this isn't star wars um know that going in that the movie is a little bit more deliberate and a little bit more kind of um passive but i also really there are some visual sequences in the film, and the movie is highly visual. And you know, very you know, I saw it in IMAX, and I, I think the opening sequence, the you know, the the big fall from you know the the giant uh, tower that he's on, um, where he's you know mm-hmm. he's just right above the atmosphere and then drops all the way through it. That is like amazing special effect moment of any movie I've seen this year. And is truly yeah. a kind of like, you know, this big special effect moment that works for me. And I was really, really, really impressed by that on a visual level. Also, there's a kind of a, a horror moment that happens midway through the film that caught me way off guard, but I was so there for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, there, there was that and there's an uh, 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 action sequence on the moon. Yeah, um, the that car was really chase cool. scene that is, and and one of the things I liked about the action, um, so like that opening sequence, and then, uh, yeah, the, I I know the horror the horror moment you're talking about was, like, I literally I think I said what the fuck, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, like this moon chase sequence. One one of the things I liked about it is those sequences aren't overly dramatized Mm -hmm. like they almost feel like they're playing them down and i think it's cool because it's like it's this character who never loses his shit so even in these moments that a normal person would be freaking out and the movie could communicate that with like shaky cam or whatever uh you know the the music never like breaks a certain rhythm yeah never Um, swells it it might it might a little bit but it doesn't it doesn't overly dramatize it it doesn't yeah you know and i thought that was really cool because i i've never seen i i haven't seen subdued action like that that's also been effective Mm -hmm. uh so i think this movie has a lot going for it and and um, so for me, I, I give this movie an A minus. Uh, yeah, I think me too. Uh, well, you know, uh, yeah, uh, maybe it's, it's hanging out around A minus and B plus. 
I'd probably have to see it again to be able to like have a concrete answer on that. But um, I really, really enjoyed it. And it was a very enriching kind of film experience, a very cinematic experience where, you know, you're getting a full emotional story through visual. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's something that this particular genre can do really well. Yes. Um, which is, I, I think one of the reasons why I, I tend to lean towards it. So, um, cool. 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 Uh, well, let's go ahead and move on to our Netflix homework. Alice doesn't live here anymore. We just went from the, the father son story now to the mother and son story. Didn't plan it that way. Keith, (laughs) what happens in 1974's Alice doesn't live here anymore? So, uh, Alice is this uh, woman, um, living a, a very sort of suburban, seemingly normal, if not unsatisfied life. Um, she's married and she has a kid. Uh, and then suddenly her her husband dies in a, a car accident, uh, you know, a tragic moment in her life. Um, so she decides to take her kid, Tommy, and her plan is to eventually set up roots in um oh i can't think of the town in, in california monterey um, monterey that's right i knew it was a cheese um <laughs> in monterey california uh and her goal is to find work as a singer she used to sing before she got married and now she's she's found without uh, sort of a breadwinner, uh, so she needs to come into her own um, and and make some money, and so she wants to pursue a career in music, and she's sort of like uh, jumping th- through towns uh, with her son in hotel rooms, trying to just scrape through it to get enough cash to, to make it to the pie-in-the-sky dream of Monterey. Uh, she has a, a few setbacks, and ends up as uh, a waitress in Arizona. Is that where most of this takes place? Tucson, yeah, yeah, Tucson. Um, so she she ends up having to settle for a job as a waitress at just sort of a this greasy spoon diner, um, and give up on this dream of becoming a singer to support the, the, her child. She has some romantic encounters along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it the, you, this is sort of a seventies white people how Stella got her groove back kind of <laughs> kind of movie. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, if he, this is a uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, and this was one of his earlier films. I want to say this. Yeah, this is seventy four. So this even predates Taxi Driver by a couple years. And if you see the opening of the film. Uh, He opens with this very traditional 1950s sort of Douglas Sirk looking, uh, uh, you know, like curtain in the background with this like cursive font with the the, and this uh, old uh, traditional sort of musical music that's that's that introduces us into the film. And yeah, this this movie opens like. uh, One of those 60s musical numbers uh, uh, like. Like uh, when we reviewed White Christmas, like it opens like that type of movie. I was like, oh, here we go. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, I I think it's very intentional. I think he was specifically going for kind of a Douglas Sirk feel. Uh, Sirk who made, you know, um, melodramas in the 50s and 60s, uh, 40s and 50s. And even the title, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, sounds very Cirkian. Um, and I think what he was trying to sort of portray is like, the, those were the sort of the women's pictures of that time. And mm-hmm. I'm going to sort of update the 50s melodrama for a new generation for this kind of 70s women's liberation movement. Um, yeah, yeah. This This movie feels definitely like... Like we're establishing the sort of dreamland fantasy world at the beginning, yeah. Of you know, like this epic saga of some of this girl becoming a singer, but we're going to strip away all of the Hollywood bullshit and try to make it feel as grounded and as real as possible. 
sometimes that's that's pretty funny. And uh, uh, I think this is one of Scorsese's funnier movies that I've seen. Um, and other times it's pretty dramatic. Um, mm-hmm. uh, a- Alice doesn't have the best time for a lot of this movie. <laughs> no, it's true. And, you know, she's she's kind of unconventional and like uh, as far as being like a lead in a movie um, and she bumbles her way through motherhood sometimes. So she has a very interesting kind of relationship with her son. Um, She's a very modern relationship with her son. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if you'd seen that in a movie like this before, like, or you know, prior to this film of the, of mother and son talking to each other like adults. Yeah, and the 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 kid like talking back to the mom, mm-hmm. and her throwing it right back at him to the point where they would just like sort of joke around back and forth to the point where they would get so frustrated with each other that it would become like. <laughs> Uh, this verbal fight, yeah. but but like you, there still was definitely that love. It wasn't like this abusive relationship. It's just like a, oh Jesus, kid's getting on my fucking nerves because he won't shut the fuck up, kind of thing. Right, um, and it they fe- even kind it, of portray felt- the kid a little bit like I mean, I, maybe there wasn't language for it at the time. Almost kind of Aspergersy. Uh, yeah, they they mentioned he's kind of weird a couple times, uh, but yeah. honestly, like. He didn't, he seemed pretty, like, he seemed kind of like the kids I, you know, I grew up with. Like, I think I was like this as a kid. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah. uh, uh, So, to me, it just seemed very modern. Like, in a movie that doesn't look modern, it looks very 70s. It looks um, very early 70s. Yeah. Um, But the dialogue and the character is done so naturalistically uh, that it, it kind of reminded me of um, uh, Boyhood a lot, like the link yeah. later, um, especially the relationship with like the son and and uh, Patricia Arquette's character. Yeah, she's like trying out different suitors and stuff, and this kid just has to deal with it. And mm-hmm. yeah, in uh, there's some some fun cameos from a very young Harvey Keitel. Sure, uh, fucking. Mm-hmm baby <laughs> uh, uh, young suave chris christopherson back in his heyday when he looked and sounded like my dad which is sort of weird <laughs> but yeah. i'm sure my dad was going for a chris christopherson look maybe uh, i'm sure a lot of guys in the 70s were going for a chris christopherson look yeah yeah like the, you know that uh the beard the fucking canadian uh suit Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. all denim um yeah and uh, ellen burston is lead obviously um who you know ellen burston's great and everything um and this is around the time pretty pretty close to maybe just right after she was in the exorcist um but uh yeah i mean she she's brilliant oh yeah she's so i she's so natural like mm-hmm. she seems i, I mean she seems like a real person you yeah. know it's just that's the, the one thing my big takeaway from this movie was how well uh, even though there's there's definitely plenty of directorial stuff going on here there's definitely a very active camera yeah um, especially early on in the film he kind of has this big push in and he's you know he still wants to uh He's a young director at this time, and even though the material is kind of mature, um, he's still flexing a lot. Yes, yeah, and uh, sometimes to the point of distraction. A little bit, Um, yeah. And but the the movie, the acting is so natural and real Mm -hmm. um, that I just could not help but like this feels like such a time capsule of of what it would be like to be a single mom in the seventies. Right. Uh, and, and I think all of the performances are really good. Like, especially the seventies are sometimes kind of iffy for me with actors because there's a tendency to be sort of bigger than the screen. Um, yeah, well you see kind of a separation. It depends on especially what, uh, end of the 70s you're on but especially like before 75 you're still getting a lot of actors from old hollywood that are mixing in with new hollywood actors and uh you know the a lot of those those guys are still kind of stage acting or they're kind of yeah they're kind of like tv acting and stuff whereas um a lot of these you know these 
people like Ellen Burstyn or people like Al Pacino or whatever, that kind of generation who came in in the 70s, they're like learning the method and Stanislavski and all this stuff. And they're bringing in this whole different energy. Totally, totally. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, and, you know, overall, I thought this was a pretty funny movie, too. Like, yeah, again, the 70s is far enough away from our generation that sometimes when I watch movies from that era, especially the humor, there can be a bit of a disconnect for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just like was so entertained by um, Ellen Burstyn and just like her trash talking son uh, <laughs> just fucking giving it to anybody right <laughs> <laughs> to the point where uh, uh i mean you know it sort of becomes a, a point of contention you know yeah. is like is she is she spoiling him is she giving him too much leeway mm-hmm. uh you know how much of that is guilt how much of that is is this and that but ultimately this is a, you know this is a movie about a woman learning how to to live without a man and to be satisfied with herself uh right. and and incredible like how relevant like <laughs> some of this stuff still is sure it's like just like some of the shit she has to deal with mm-hmm. uh like she's looking for jobs as a singer and uh one guy tells her to turn around and, and she's just like what i don't sing out of my ass <laughs> uh it's great uh uh and and i love I mean, her character is just like, it's hard not to fall in love with her and just feel for her and want right. everything to be okay. Yes, absolutely. Uh, this movie, I believe, was the inspiration for the sitcom Alice, which uh, featured Flo's Diner and all of that. Um, I don't know this show. Uh, it was, a, you know. This reference is lost on me. <laughs> <laughs> people might remember, a lot of people probably remember the Flo's Diner and the character Flo, and that character does exist in this movie in some form or another. I, I know Progressive's Flo. I know the Progressive Flo. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so this movie was some sort of success, enough, uh, enough so that it inspired that sitcom, but... Yeah, this was right at the beginning of sort of the women's liberation movement and everything. You had all of these like kind of single women movies that came out around that time, like An Unmarried Woman and this and uh, uh, Tip, uh, Bob, Alice, Ted and Carol. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, people kind of associate Scorsese with crime movies and guns and splatter and that kind of stuff. I mean, once he found his niche, he leaned into it hard. Sure. Um, And even before this, he had done Mean Streets and... Look who's knocking and that kind of stuff. So he'd he'd already kind of warmed up to that genre, but I I think you know this movie is thoroughly a a Scorsese film, but mm-hmm. isn't in that genre. So it's interesting to look at it from that perspective, where you're like, oh, it's all still here. Like I yeah, definitely to- totally. feel like I'm watching a Scorsese film, even though you know it's not Goodfellas or whatever. Yeah, and and that's. Um- something that I really enjoyed about it was like to see, to see sort of Scorsese outside of that element that I've mostly known him as. Uh, right. It was really interesting to, to be, uh, well, he's, you know, he's such a good director that uh, uh, even, even though this movie is a little dated and sometimes it's a little harder for me, I was still thoroughly entertained and it is yeah. still such a good character piece. Um, that you know i it again the the first i don't know two minutes i'm just like oh god here we go here we go <laughs> uh and then uh, after that like jarring transition to the the modern period yeah. i was like oh oh kind of here we go <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and i think you know that was like i said i think that was a statement of like i'm going to to update the melodrama for a new generation it's not subtle yeah (laughs) (laughs) um cool well what do you have for us uh, next week we're going to be kicking off our spooky halloween season so all of our netflix choices are going to be horror films uh what is it going to be so uh inspired by uh the recent j j J. Lesurrection? 
I don't know. About <laughs> I don't that. know. I was I was trying <laughs> to make a portmanteau work. Uh, J- Jennifer Lopez erection. There we go. Okay. Uh, the J Lopez erection. Uh, <laughs> God, what was I saying? Rolls okay. right off the tongue. We're gonna go back into this. Uh, take two. Inspired by last week's J Lopez erection of hustlers, uh, I wanted to go and visit the 90s thriller horror movie The Cell with Jennifer Lopez and Vincent D'Onofrio where she like gets sucked inside the virtual reality mm-hmm. mind of a serial killer. Um, Cyberpunk, yeah. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're going to be watching next week. Um, definitely watch it with us uh, so that when you when you listen to the podcast, you know what we're talking about. It always helps. Uh, it'll It'll be fun. It'll be a good time. And uh, tweet at us. Tweet it at us. Let us know where you are in the movie. Spoil it for us. I don't give a fuck. Engage. I I might care a little if you spoil it. But yeah, if you are watching it um, or you have watched it and you just want to, you know, tell us what you thought of it real fast, we can read your tweets uh, before we launch into our Netflix review. So that would be fun. Or as as well as our our main review. We don't know what that's going to be yet. Um, we have to look and see what's playing in the theater. Um, but uh, but yeah, yeah t- tag us and use the hashtag Netflix homework, uh, and we can keep up with you and and see you know where you're at in the movie. That's a lot of fun. Absolutely. If anybody wants to reach us anywhere on our social media, you can do so at MacGuffin Pod at both Twitter and Instagram, as well as Facebook at Facebook. Uh, dot com slash MacGuffin pod where you can find our listener surveys that we post as well as episodes when they go up and the news stories that we cover. Uh, so be sure to follow us on all of those. And also uh, just a reminder for what Keith said earlier, you can follow us on um, on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Pocket Cast, the Windows Podcast Network, and Player.fm. And when you're on any of those apps, specifically iTunes and Stitcher Radio, please leave a five-star review uh, or five-star rating and a review, and uh, Keith will draw you a picture. And uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at VC Cassidy, and you can also follow me on uh, the MacGuffin's homepage, MacGuff.in slash author slash Cassidy, where you can see the writing that I do every once in a while over there, as well as um, these episodes when they go up. And while you're at the MacGuffin's website, you can check out the other reviews and articles written by the MacGuffin staff. Uh, You can also read my reviews that I do uh, bi-weekly, um, or every other week, rather, from uh, the Idaho State Journal at idahostatejournal.com and their arts and entertainment page. You should be able to find my reviews somewhere in there. Um, and Keith, you have stuff too. What is it? Uh, check out my website, www.keithfosterkit.com. Um, I haven't been doing as much comedy over the summer, but uh, hoping to get back going again. And, and once I do, my uh, dates are usually on the website. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Follow me for those uh, pictures I draw for people. I, I post them online. Um, I hope people are having fun with that and enjoying it as much as I'm enjoying doing it. Um, yeah, so check me out at uh, KeithFosterKid.com and follow me at Keith Foster Kid. Cool. Uh, be sure to check out our other friends out there who are doing podcasts of their own, including Patrick and Dennis over at Almost Educational and Buddy and Alice over at Those Happy Places and Rogue Fun, a Star Wars podcast. Uh, that'll be it for the week. She went to shit in the hogs ate her. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>